Let's open our Bible to the book of Colossians. How do you say that one, Bob? I know you say Ephesians. Is it Colossians? Ephesians. I always love Bob saying Ephesians. Colossians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. Again, let's remind ourselves what the Lord said, the theme of the conference is the call of God. I suppose, and Bill makes mention to it from time to time, teaching Bible school students, my life, most of it, most of the time that's been in uh, former Soviet, although uh, Bill's drugged me to uh, India and Sri Lanka, and then uh, a couple times I've been able to minister in South America and Asia. But most of the time it's been in the former Soviet, and I always would do usually a week, three hours in the morning, and then evening meetings. And uh, what I always announced, because the questions would begin on Monday. They're always wanting questions. And then after your session's over, they'd mob you, and they got questions, you know. So I, I, I fell into a routine. Generally, one of the first things I'd say in the very first session was, now, what, now we're going to teach on this for the week, but on Friday we're going to have one session of questions and answers. So if you have questions, don't bother me with them because there's a good chance I'll answer them throughout the week if you pay attention. So if you do have a question, just have your ear open and perhaps the Lord will answer it. And, and to help you with that, write it down. Take one of the pages in the back of your notebook or something and just start writing down questions. If you didn't... If you didn't get the gist of something or you or you or you know I didn't cover the subject thoroughly you know write, write that question down and then we would have a beneficial questions and answer time because people were prepared you know there's nothing I hate worse than stupid questions some people say oh there's no such thing as a stupid question well did Adam have a belly button yeah there are stupid questions <laughs> All right, or where did dinosaurs come from? I don't know. Ask Larry Mills. He was there. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are stupid questions, right? And, uh, but they would, answer, they would write these down, and we'd be able to, to have a really wonderful dialogue. And remember, that used to be the major form of teaching, questions and answer. In fact, and still to this day, one of my favorite books to reread is Howard Carter's book on the gifts of the Spirit. It's just where he sat on the platform in front of a Bible school and answered questions. The entire book is the questions printed and then two or three paragraphs of his answers. And then they would ask a question based on his answer. Whoever moderated it, it took a moderator, did a tremendous job. And if you want to know how that works, just read that book. It'll, it'll get you in the spirit of that form of education. And I said all that to say this is without a doubt, it didn't matter what I was teaching on, there would always be a question. How do I know what I'm called to do? How do I enter my call? What's my purpose? What am I? You know, and, and I think predominantly that's our heart cry because once we're born again and once we've been filled with the Spirit and we renew our mind on the Word of God, 
we wake up one day and realize I'm not an accident. I'm here for a reason. What's my purpose in life? And, you know, it may be apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or it may not. But it's still, uh, uh, you're still valuable and precious to the Lord. And that doesn't uh, uh, make your purpose any less important. Amen. And I know a lot of people, they think, well, you know, God called me to clean toilets. That's not as important as, as uh, being the pastor of the church. Well... Uh, I disagree because God blesses us, and we find it in the parable, with, with the, the giftings according to our capacity. And that guy who's fulfilled in doing the janitorial, which some people would look down on, what does the book of 1 Corinthians say? To them we bestow upon greater honor. Amen. See, see sometimes... You, you don't understand how much trash the pastor has to take out. <laughs> you, you don't know how much janitorial work he has to put up with. <laughs> you might not like it if you knew. Amen. You don't know how, uh, what it's like to always smell like sheep. <laughs> See, we're all valuable and precious in the eyes of the Lord. Here in Colossians, verse 17 a friend of mine that God brought back from the dead, Jim Dumont, pointed this out to me uh, years and years ago. I guess it would have been about 1984. Uh, we had started a church in a house in Titusville, Pennsylvania. And, and uh, Jim Dumont came as the first pastor of that house church. And then Jim and I, I remember we went and held a Holy Ghost seminar in Meadville. And we spent money on advertising. We went door to door and thousands, I'm telling you, thousands of people stayed away. <laughs> one, one sermon, when it was my turn to preach, uh, the visitors that we had had that morning left. And it was just me and Jim's, but it was my turn to preach. So bless God, I'm going to preach because it's my turn. He got to preach to the visitors. So I'm going to preach to Jim, and I had 16 reasons why you should speak in other tongues. And I'm preaching to Jim Dumont, who taught me how to speak in tongues, you know. <laughs> Still laughs about that and said, couldn't you have cut it down to the three main reasons why you should speak? No, I had to go through all 16. We covered it all. And back then, I didn't have any stories. People, people t this week have been saying, oh, I love your stories, love your stories. Well, praise the Lord. I remember when I started, though, I didn't have any stories. If you, want, you know, the most common phrase come out of my mouth was turn to. <laughs> I'd read the scripture and say, isn't that good? Turn to. And then we'd read one more. I didn't have any stories. But the Bible's full of stories. And sometimes you'll have more faith and more miracles on that because you got less stories and more word. Amen. Well, Jim pointed this out to me and, and uh, really stuck with me over all of my life. What did Paul say to this fellow Archippus, Colossians 4.17? He said, take heed to the ministry which you have achieved. Now, he didn't say that, did he? Take heed to the ministry that you have received, received, received in the Lord. That you fulfill it. 
And then, then I think Jim went on to say some things, and then I know later in my own study and in my own walk with the Lord, I, I realized that when you achieve a ministry that you haven't received, you're the one that has to keep it. You're the one that has to keep it going. And when you build your ministry just a little bit outside the box and you begin to do a work of the flesh, even though it has the appearance of godliness, you, you build it by the flesh, you've got to maintain it by the flesh. And that's where you'll wear out. That's where the devil will just short-circuit everything you do. But if we, if we focus and be honest with ourselves and take heed to what God has called us to do, uh, it's just an easier life. I'm not going to say it's without its struggle or without its hardships, um, but there's certainly a difference between working hard all day long and going to bed feeling good and fulfilled because you did a good work or working hard all day long at something you don't like and that's frustrating and you go home burned out and when you wake up, you don't even want to get up and go back to work. There's a, real, there's a real difference. I like working hard. It's something that fulfills me. And I like going to sleep when you're tired. I mean totally wore out because you did a hard work, but you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You feel fulfilled. That's a good feeling. But I don't like going to bed exhausted and strung out because I was doing 13 things today because I started something I shouldn't have started and now I got to deal with it and I got 18,000 balls in the air and 15 pans in the fire and it ain't no fun. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I always had a problem. A friend of mine, Jeff Rutland, said, you know, what your problem is, is all your, like a computer, all your defaults are set to yes. They're, they're set to on. Someone says, let's go to Argentina and you say yes, you know. Hey, let's do this ministry. Yes, let's do that. Yes. He said, Dale, set all your defaults to no, and when they ask you to do something, say, I'll pray about it. Well, I'm telling you, it changed my life, you know, because God doesn't want you to do as many things as you think he does. Amen? And it's the Apostle Paul that said, this one thing I do. You know, there's a lot of ministers. I don't think there's that many ministers that could, could even identify one thing they do. Amen. It's quiet in this Episcopalian church. Amen. So I, seeing that that was a tendency in me, I don't know, uh, the Lord challenged me, oh, I don't know at what point it was in my ministry, but it sure was valuable. I, I'd always taken January as a time of prayer in the turn of the year, but at, at, at a certain point when I'd get with the Lord, the Lord said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the yellow legal pad. I used to always like to write on those. He says, and I want you to write out every one of your responsibilities, jobs, roles. What are you doing? Write them out. And usually it'd fill up most of the page. And I'd start with husband and father. And I'd go right down through it, you know, and, and write out all these things. Ministry-related, business-related, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then the Lord challenged me. Now, apart from husband and father, because you can't, you can't stop that, I want you to quit all of it. Just draw a line through them all. Quit it. You're done. You're fired. Now take a clean page, put husband and father at the top, and get on your face before me and write down what I tell you to write down. And during that period of time, uh, some, some years I'd write everything. I didn't drop a thing. 
But there are some years I dropped more than I, even I realized. Things just kind of had accumulated. And I'm doing things that I didn't, I didn't need to be doing. Oh, there were good things. Some of them were even fun things. But that's what the Bible says. Lay aside even the weight. Right? Some things just slow you down. Amen? Sometimes a bass boat will slow you down. Amen? And uh, you've you, you got to take heed, he said, to the ministry you've received. It's possible. I've done it. I've proved that it is possible to really focus and put all your efforts in a ministry you don't have any business in, and then what God's called you to do suffers. You've got to focus on what God called you to do. You say, yeah, but people need me. Uh, no, people manipulate you. You've got to believe God's bigger than that. I, I, I got, one of the first times I got just so worn out in ministry, I'll never forget it. The Lord said, why don't you take a walk with me? And so I, I went walking in the Pennsylvania State game lands. I found this, ended up found this beautiful pond I didn't even know existed. I'm sitting on the edge of this pond watching these ducks in the water. It was beautiful. And I'm, I'm relaxed and being with the Lord, went ministering to the Lord because I was wore out. And the Lord said, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about. And I said, yes, Lord. He said, well, the first thing is I want you to understand you're not Jesus. Amen. See, I just felt such a responsibility. I got to take care of people. But you know you don't. Amen. And I mean, I've, I've, I've grabbed a hold of that. I've completely gone from the one extreme to the other. I just believe God's big enough to take care of you. I, I've been all around the world enough to see needs. You think you got a need? I'll show you real needs. I'm not being rude or selfish or anything to ignore your need. I just know God's big enough, and right at this moment, I'm not the answer to your need. But I know there's a God. And actually, the answer to your need might be you on your knees. Right? And I mean, James is clear about that. James is real clear about that. He says, if, if a man's in trouble, let him pray. I'll never forget David Landis. I think, I don't know if it was in a landmark or not, but when he said it, I about fell off my chair. He talked about how when his church was, at that point, it was over a thousand members. And he just had people coming all the time for counsel. He didn't have any spare time on his schedule. It got to the point where he was getting ready to hire a full-time counselor. Because there were so many counseling crisis needs of, of, of you know, people in trouble. And that's what the pastor was supposed to do is counsel. And he had no time to pastor, prepare his sermons, do anything else because he's doing so much counseling. So he's going to hire a full-time counselor. And every time he'd pick up the phone, because he's looking at these resumes from Rama, he'd pick up the phone and say, this is a good one, maybe we'll talk to them. He'd pick up the phone, the Holy Spirit would say, don't, 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 don't hire them, don't bring them in here. And he'd put the phone down and say, but Lord, I need a counselor. He says, no, you need wisdom. He says, all right, Lord, give me wisdom. What's the wisdom? Read the book of James. So he read the book of James, you know, and it says, let him pray. So he went out to his secretary and said, from now on, every time someone comes and they want an hour of counseling with the pastor, you schedule it at 6 a.m. for one hour of prayer with the pastor. 
And after that one-hour prayer, then we'll schedule a counseling session. Guess what happened to his schedules? <laughs> He's freed up. Comple People would not invest an hour to pray with their pastor. And there'd be others there. It'd be a group. They wouldn't invest one hour to pray. They just wanted someone to pat their hand, make them feel good. Hello. I don't know how come I got off on that, but... See, see, people are not the ministry. Obedience to the Lord is the ministry. They're His people. They're, they're not yours. You have to take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And that, that isn't always easy to define in the beginning. Let's go over to uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Ministry to the Lord begins with being obedient. There's opportunities everywhere to please the Lord. I always liked Gene Olin. He, he, uh, one of the things he taught me, we would go to conferences. And I always wanted to sit up front. I like to get up front where the anointing's at, you know. Anybody heard that before? Gene would... Gene wouldn't let me go up front. We'd be at the Charismatic Conference in Duquesne. There'd be thousands of people in this auditorium. And he'd say, come on, this is going to be exciting. Well, I said, what are we going to do? We're going to hang out in the back where the needs are. And I'm like, huh? He says, oh, yeah, the needy people are too afraid to go up front. All the real excitement's in the back. And I'm like, what? And we'd be, we'd be in the back, and he'd just, he would never sit down. He'd be standing there and praying in tongues. He'd see somebody crying. He'd go over and put his hand on, are you okay? And before I knew it, they're flat out on the floor, just snotty mess weeping before the Lord. He'd have healings, all kinds of words of knowledge. And, and, and it was just fun watching him. I just, you know what? There's a lot of opportunity in the back. Amen. And I don't know about you, but uh, somebody said, well, I don't have anywhere to preach. How, how many nursing homes you been to? Nursing home, why would I go there? Yeah, well, good luck preaching. The world's just going to beat a trail to your door. Yeah, no, no. There's so many opportunities to go serve. Uh, but a lot of people entering the ministry, they're like that young businessman. He's humble enough to start at the top. Amen. I, I don't know why I got a spirit slap on me this morning. But see, God, yeah, that's warnings. But God, bought, God has given us a ministry, all of us. And uh, yeah, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors and teachers. But we're all called in the kingdom to be productive for the kingdom the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are just to equip us to do that ministry more effectively, no matter what it is. Remember, you know, they're like the, the flight instructor. You know, you're still a pilot. You're just not a flight instructor. You can still fly the plane. Amen? In fact, a lot of leadership confusion in different churches where I've seen is, is that there'll be a, an individual who's real strong in his spirit because he's what a believer's supposed to be. And people think he's called to the five-fold ministry. Why don't you just leave him alone and let him run his hardware store? 
and let them tithe a whole lot of money and get people saved and go out on the streets and evangelize and, and disciple young men without even knowing what he's doing because he takes them out for eggs and bacon every morning. But he's just, he just runs a hardware store. But, but everybody's got to come around and pretend prophesy over him that he's a missionary somewhere he doesn't want to go just because he's what a Christian's supposed to be and he's strong in his spirit. I heard Norval Hayes say it one time. He said, in most cases, if you just took a new believer and locked him in a log cabin for a month and taught him correctly and gave him the right teaching and had him praying tongues about four hours a day and he came out of there and you took him into almost any church in America, they would think he was called into five-fold ministry and he's just a strong believer. Amen. And don't, don't be ashamed to be a hardware store owner who prays in tongues you know, every day when he drives an hour to work and casts the devil out of the people that works for him. Amen. And the pastors, his employees, just like the pastor, pastors the church. Take heed to the ministry God's called you to. If God tells you to do something uh, specifically, then that's what you want to obviously focus on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 well, I'm, I'm sorry. The Lord just won't let me go that route because I've already gone this direction too far. Let's go to Ephesians 4. I've got to get into 1 Corinthians 2 before the week's out, though. <laughs> now, in Ephesians 4, it says, let's look here in verse 7, to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. See, what God's called you to do, he'll give you the grace. And uh, that's exactly what... Bill's been saying he, he says a little different I don't know where he got the phrase uh, the call is to the heart and grace is to the call is what he says well right here it is in the scripture God God calls you and then according to that that measure of the gift of Christ that's the call then there's grace added to that and it's even in that it's unique that's what I love about the grace of God there's no two pastors the same, and if there are, shame on them. Because, you know, you, I like to emulate people. I learn by watching people. But in the end, you, you're an original. You're not a copy. And if you're trying to be like someone, you'll never be number one. You'll never be the best version of yourself, right? Because you're different. And it doesn't matter, you know, if uh, you, I mean, you learn from others, but also be very, very quick to realize there's some things you don't want to learn from that person. <laughs> Amen. Because it doesn't fit you. David w couldn't have killed Goliath with Saul's armor or Saul's weapons. Right? But I'm not sure I could kill Goliath with David's weapons. Right? And I know I remember God set me up. There's different divine appointments in life which are so valuable to all of us and we really should respect those i would say you know pastor bill is saying everybody has secrets my i think one of my secrets <laughs> is is to respect divine appointments when god puts someone in your life treasure it and squeeze the juice right out of it you know i remember when god introduced me to larry Kreider in 1980 six no not six would have been uh eight 1988 uh i didn't i didn't even know who he was uh i'd been introduced to him by uh, dr john hurston who discipled paul yonji cho 
who I met supernaturally over the telephone. Well, that's a story. I haven't told a story yet today, have I? I, I, I was just dumb young minister crying out to God and what had happened is I'd started a church and then somebody gave me a church and I had two churches at the same time before the internet so you couldn't do live streaming or anything like that what do you do with two churches and I was going crazy driving back and forth and I thought well that really the only way I could meet the needs of these people is something I heard about in some magazine somewhere it was cell groups and I knew at that time Paul Yonji Cho was pretty popular and cell groups, you know. And so uh, I heard Bob Tilton on TV say he was hiring a, a, a full-time minister in his church for cell groups development. Didn't never said his name, he just made a comment. So I thought, well, I'm going to call him and see if I can talk to this fella. So I called Bob Tilton's church and they put me in touch with this guy named John Hurston. I didn't know who he was. It was John Hurston. They didn't have... I couldn't Google him. Who's John Hurston? I didn't know. He's just an old man, and he was cranky. He really was. He was rude. He was just, he was flat out rude. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, I've been rude before. So I'm talking to him on the phone. He says, what, you know, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm trying to learn about cell groups. I mean, this kind of, I described my situation. And I, I, I need to understand cell groups. I feel like the Lord's telling me that's the way our church should go. He says, What's your address? I'll send you something. So, so I gave him my address and clicked. I thought, wow, okay. About two or three hours later, he called me back. I don't know if he felt guilty or what. But he called me back. I'm in Titusville, Pennsylvania. He calls me back and he said, you're in Pennsylvania. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I just see it looking here on my schedule. I'm going to be in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, next month and I thought well it's uh, I said sir excuse me it's pronounced Reading and uh, wherever you're going to be I'm there too he said all right meet me for breakfast and we, we connected Terry was about ready to pop with our second child yeah I mean she was so I drug her in a snowstorm when they closed the interstate and we sat in a snowstorm on the interstate for about four hours and uh, she wasn't real happy but she, was, she is a woman of God. And we made it in and to her sisters. And then I don't think I slept a wink. And there I am at about 6 a.m. having breakfast with some guy that's grouchy by the name of John Hurston, who I don't know who he is. And I, I sit down with him in some restaurant, never forget it, where the waitress recommends we try the scrapple. <laughs> and he looks at me and says, what's that? And I said, I have no idea. So we both had Scrapple for the first time together, and we were not impressed. <laughs> and he starts to lighten up. And he starts telling me about how he planted churches in Vietnam during the war. He started something like a dozen churches while the fighting was going on. And he's, he's telling me stories. I mean, the hair on the back of my head is, I, I'm, it, I'm like, Whoa, where did God just drop me? And, and he, you know, he's a white-haired man. Not, and he's full of the glory of God, sort of like where Larry's getting close. And, and, and probably was about your age at that time, you know. And, and uh, he's going on and on about all this stuff and 
church planting is just my DNA, and I was chewing on all that. And he, and he, he never even started, hardly even said one word about cell groups. <laughs> you know, we just didn't get to it. And he realized, oh, the time's late. I got to go preach, and I haven't really shared with you about cell groups. Well, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you want to come with me? I said, I'm right there with you, sir. So I carried his bag for the whole day. We went to three different churches. And in the evening, <clears throat> he said, you want to stay with me a little bit later? I said, sure. Well, come on with me tonight. I'm going to minister. I'll introduce you to Larry. You'll like Larry. He's just like you. And I thought, whoa, praise God. Young, stupid, I'm just starting. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so we went into a meeting in the evening that was about this big. And I thought, yeah. Larry's about just like me. He's pastor of this church. This is about how many people we had in our church at that time. Larry's just like me. Then halfway through the service, I realized every one of these people was a cell group leader with about 15 people in their cell group. And I'm thinking, he's not just like me. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, then after that meeting, Dr. Hurston grabs Larry and says, hey, uh, Larry, you got a problem place somewhere me and you need to pray over this guy and I'm like you do so we, we went back into a room I don't know if you ever heard this story and went back into a room laid hands on me and the reason I don't have any hair back here is because John Hurston started rubbing it all off uh, and he, I mean, he prayed me a good Pentecostal prayer and uh, Dr. Hurston was the first one the first one that ever spoke out loud with his mouth what God had spoken to me when I was 16 and that God had called me as an apostle. I, I was smart enough, I heard Brother Hagin, to keep my mouth shut. I knew what I was called to do, but I didn't need to put it on a business card. And I never told anybody that I know of. Maybe I told my wife, I don't know. But I never said it publicly, and nobody ever said it to me. Nobody ever suggested it. But it was Dr. Hurston was the first one that he prophesied it. And then he stopped in the middle of his prayer. I'll never forget it. He stopped in the middle of his prayer after he had, he had prophesied this of the apostolic ministry. He stopped and he looked at Larry and he says, he says, do you have anything on that? Does that bear witness to you? And Larry said, absolutely. There's an apostle of God here. And then Larry started praying for me. And, I, and I, as a young man, well, that does a lot for you. You know, doesn't need to be out there with a speaker. But with someone who's seasoned, proven, and tried, well, then, then that gives you some, all right, we're, we're going the right way. That's important. It's important to be affirmed. And so then uh, Larry then opened up and said, hey, you just come down anytime you want. Uh, we, we just love to fellowship with you. And so, and so we did. And he was a great blessing. Uh, one time he called me. He said, why don't you just come down and spend three days? We'll just... We'll just walk around together and, and, and uh, you can come on into the office and see how things happen and see how we can help you. What a blessing. And uh, thank God for, for Larry Kreider. Uh, but at one point, the Lord spoke to me and said, now, Larry's going to teach you a lot of things, but I want you to pay attention and I'll show you when you see him, there's going to be things you're going to see that'll work for him that'll never work for you. I never thought, I've never forgotten that. There's things that will work for him that will never work for you. Isn't that interesting? See, there's some things that won't work without the anointing. See, you can, you can labor all night long fishing 
and doing it the way fishermen do it and catch nothing. But then just have the command of faith by the Lord and cast it on the other side of the boat and bring in a boatload. Some things won't work without the anointing. That's why in ministry, it just makes me cringe when I see the fads that replicate. You know, it's, if, it's, if cell groups became a fad, God may or may not ask you to use cell groups in your ministry. Then it was groups of 12 because it worked in South America. Then groups of 12 was like, if you weren't doing groups of 12, you're probably going to hell. I mean, it was just, it was just another fad. And uh, that's one of the things I like about the mission field is generally the mission field's tough enough that fads don't work anyway. And that you actually have to focus on the souls and focus on the gospel, you know. I remember a missionary to Andorra, our good friend Stephen Horney, he asked me one time, he says, you know, when in America is it ever going to be come back in style to preach the gospel? <laughs> you know, it's, it's in style to laugh. It's in style to be slain in the spirit. It's in style to prophesy to each other. It's in style to have a breakthrough offering. We're going to have a breakthrough offering, not just a regular offering. We had the regular offering already, but now we're going to have the breakthrough offering or, or some offering based on some obscure scripture that, I don't know, it's the leprosy offering, or we're going to have the, 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 the anyway, don't get me started. I'll get real mad. When's it going to be popular to preach the gospel, Stephen Horning said. i never forget that. Hallelujah. Well, is it popular? Yes, it is. And, and, and here, you've been given a, a, a measure of the gift of Christ, and there's grace attached to it. So if you want to know, and this is what I always tell the Bible students, the best way to take a step towards your ministry and your destiny is to follow the grace. Follow the grace. Amen. And, that, and it, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, there's certain things that will pull you. You don't, don't, you don't necessarily need to be afraid of your sanctified desires. They're selfish desires. You ought to put them to death. But there's things that spring up in your heart. Uh, uh, you know, like Moses had a heart to deliver the children of Israel. Gideon had something come up in his heart to deliver the children of Israel. You got something springs up in your heart for the poor. I mean, like Rich Ross. You know, I mean, it was just minister to the poor was written on his face. It, it just what's what's in your heart you know is it is it to reach out to the college students in your area where that come from the bible says mark eleven twenty four. you know or uh, that god answers that that desire because faith gives substance to things hoped for but that desire the book of psalms says is that god gives you the desires of your heart i don't believe that it means god grants the desires of your heart i believe god gives you the desires that are in your heart he places it there. And you got desires I don't have. And I know when I have taken a shift in ministry, I get new desires. I can remember we had a Bible study that went for a long time. It was really a house church. We just didn't call it that. And I remember the night I had Bob Hawk get on his knees and I prophesied to him. Every time I, it's kind of comical, but every time I used to see Bob, I anointed him almost every service. I mean, that's why his hair's so good. It's because he's been enriched by olive oil for like 30 years, man. I'm, I just poured probably several gallons of oil on him over the years. And 
he's on his knees and I'm prophesying over him and I never forget it. I, I said it out loud with my mouth and I, and I had this chuckle in my heart when I said it. And you'll even go to Russia. This was in the early 80s. And I remember in the, inside myself, thank God it's not me. Bob is going to have to go to Russia. Whoa. I mean, it was God. I knew it was God. I just didn't know I would be the one that took him there. Because <laughs> I had no desire. No desire. But God gives desires. He'll give you a desire for, for culture, for language. He'll give you a desire to stay home. Amen. I mean, I, I, I think people have to sometimes see it to believe it. But I mean, I've had the privilege of seeing and ministering to so many missionaries all over the world in different cultures and different languages. And the thing is, the beauty of it is they fit. You know, I mean, Andrew Bush is a good example. Missionary to the Philippines, was born in Washington, D.C., both of his parents have seen their photos just as white as, as, as any Anglo-Saxon could ever be. But for some reason, Andrew's tone of his skin was darker. And he fits in among the Filipino people. It's, it's, it's bizarre. And then even Andrew's daughter, though, blonde hair, blue eyes, pure white skin, you know. And, and uh, that whole family, though, you see the grace. You see the grace. And you know, man, if I lived here with my wife, we'd kill each other in three weeks. But there's a grace on that family, you know. And I'm sure if I pull, pulled Larry and Kay up, probably Kay would be the one to speak to it even better. Uh, and she'd be able to say, yep, the, the, without the grace, you just can't do it. You can't do it. Thank God for your ministry. There's a grace. So follow the grace. Follow the grace. And you'll find it. Forget about the details of what is my ministry. Follow those desires that the Lord puts in your heart. And, and D.L. Moody in Chicago just had a desire to, to take these homeless kids and stick them in a corner and teach them. And, and that's how his entire ministry started. He just followed this urge, this grace, this need. Now, we're not need-driven. There's a difference. Just to see a need... It's not a call to ministry. That's how I started in the, in the early. You've got to know how to say no to needs because the devil leads you around with a hook in your nose. Yes. But where's your grace? And as you follow that, it'll lead you step by step into a higher place and into greater development. Now that grace, when it, it, it's first is the call, the measure of the gift. Then there's get grace. And then on top of that, Romans 12 says, let's look there, that he adds something to the grace. Did you know that? He says in verse 4, as we have many members, Romans 12, as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. And this word gifts is charisma. So it's talking about uh, uh, the nine 
supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are given to us. They're given because of or added unto the grace that's already there. Where'd the grace come from? Because of the call. So you have a call. You walk in the grace. There's gifts of the Spirit in that grace. And I have found in my own experience, the closer I get to, to the divine purposes of my call, as I follow that grace, gifts of the Spirit are there like popcorn. When I had uh, probably the greatest shift in my ministry was in 1993 or four when I went to Armenia. The Lord had told me to go there for a month. I'd already seen, I'd already seen the tremendous things. I Thank God for miracles. But there was a shift when I got into Armenia, and uh, <clears throat> I preached on average about three times a day for 30 days and had no notebook. I, had, I, I preached out of my spirit and uh, just saw every day revival and miracles that to this day blow my mind. And when I sought the Lord, what, what made the difference, it was... Not uh, that my preaching was better. It wasn't that I'd been fasting and praying. It was this merger of getting close to, to my destiny and what I was called to do. He said, you got the closest to that apostolic call than you'd never been before. See, and as you get, as your calling is given grace and you get into that grace, then there's gifts of the Spirit. So focus on your purpose in life. That's why I tell all parents that the gifts of the Spirit will work for you in regards to your children. Because your call includes raising those kids. And there's grace for it. And because there's grace for raising those kids, you can expect a word of knowledge to wake you up in the middle of the night when they're in trouble and, and you to cry out in the name of Jesus and deliver their life. Or there's a gift of the word of knowledge to let you know those two rascals are having a beer party in your house and where they hid the booze. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The supernatural family. If, you're, if you don't see, like I preached the other night, if you don't know that's possible, your faith won't rise up in that capacity to receive it. Amen. And, and I know uh, many testimonies Terry could tell of how God's saved our kids and given us supernatural insight. I remember one time, and maybe we should dwell on this, because you, you, we live in a degenerate, perverted age where you've got to divinely protect your kids. And, uh, you know, simple things. Like after church... Our three boys come and say, hey, we're going to go spend the afternoon with this, this, this new family. Oh, stay all night. Can we stay all night with this, this family? Well, they'd only been in the church one or two days. And uh, I, I don't know. The interesting thing is, you know how kids will try to run the parents against each other or whatever. I don't know how it all started. But she had it in her spirit, and I had it in my spirit. Uh-uh. I don't know why. But when that agreement came, there was such a... Am I telling it right? No. Well, you need to tell it then because it's important that people get this. Come on. Yeah, you got to stand up. Actually, we were in the middle of revival when this yeah. happened. And you get really busy. 
and you're worn out and you're tired and there was morning services, there was afternoon services, there was evening services and it was, this was an evening service and our boys came up to us, it came, we were separate in the church, you know, one, at two ends of the church and said, you know, can we go to so-and-so's house for the night? And I said, go ask your dad, you know, because I was busy doing something. So they went and asked him, and I said, yeah, it's okay with me if it's okay with your dad, you know. And then he, they did the same thing, and he said, yeah, it's okay. So this family left with our three boys. Well, then I start, everything started calming down. We were getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden my spirit went, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what is that? I went up to Dale, and I said, are you feeling anything about our boys? And he goes, yes, I'm feeling, and I said, oh my gosh, what is this? Well, we knew someone who knew them. And I mean, we knew who they were, but we didn't know them intimately. We should have been thinking, but there was too much going on. You know, just be careful of that (laughs) where your kids are concerned. So we went to this person and said, listen, we know that you do counseling. We don't want to know anything. We just want to know, are our kids safe? He said, you need to go get your kids. So we jumped in our car and drove out in the middle of the country and said, sorry, our kids have to come home. We later found out about it, and oh my gosh, we saved our children. <laughs> so praise God. God saved our children. If you hear children. that, yink, yink, yink. <laughs> amen, obey. amen, obey. Thank you, sweetheart. I, I appreciate that. She's my accuracy meter. Well, that, that's for you, too. And also... I will say this because I've also counseled others that, you know, after the tragedies happened, well, those gifts of the Spirit are there to minister to your children as well. Right. Say, well, he's not talking, or, you know, or she just curls up in a ball, she won't communicate. Well, the, the supernatural is there for you to minister healing to your child if there was a problem. Uh, or, or your, or your, your, you know, wife, the entire family. Why? Because there's a grace to be a a husband. There's grace to be a father. There's grace to be a mother, right? There's grace to be the firstborn in the family. So it's it's not that far off of subject. God calls you to a purpose. God gives you grace. Then in that grace, there are gifts of the Spirit. And they're different. I think we need to really impress this upon ourselves because part of the joy of discovering who you are is how different God uses you, how different God uses me. There's no two pastors that are the same. There's no two prophets that are the same. I think, I love, for me, the greatest example is, is Samson was considered a prophet. Daniel was considered a prophet. But they didn't dress alike. You know, I imagine, I imagine Daniel, you know, in a, in a $1,000 suit, you know, looking really nice. But Samson, you know, he's, he's just pretty rough looking. He's a redneck. He's got straw in his beard. You know, stuff like that, right? He's probably got a haircut closer to mine. And <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't even dress the same, but let's, they didn't even solve solutions the same way. Now, if you put Daniel in a lion's den, he solved the problem. He had a solution, right? He's a prophet, and there's grace on his life. And he pulled on the supernatural, and he came out of there. But what would happen if you put Samson in that lion's den? He's a prophet, right? But I don't see Samson getting down and kneeling down on the ground and praying. I mean, if he's going to pray, it's, you know, Lord, let's eat. 
Amen. There's going to be blood and eyeballs and hair all over, all over that, that lion's den. Now, he will have solved the problem. He will just have gone about it differently. Why? Because there's a different grace on his life. And, and if you try to be Daniel when you're a Samson, you're just going to look ugly in a suit. Right? And if you're a Daniel, you probably ought to stay away from the Samson ministry. <laughs> Amen. You've got a grace that's unique in your, in your life. And as you dive into that and yield to that, it'll lead you into your, your specifics. It'll lead you into the supernatural. Prayer then takes up in my opinion, one of the largest uh, factors in that grace. I heard Copeland say, every ministry failure is a prayer failure. And I agree with him. Um, Praying in tongues is the key into the supernatural. I don't know anybody that walks in the supernatural with miracles who would disagree with me. And sometimes, you know, you read books, and I, I was reading one the other day, getting a kick out of it. And, and you, find, you know, you just look at who the author was, and he's from a denomination. He doesn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't uh, have the baptism of the Spirit. He never spoke in tongues in his life, but he's an uh, expert in Greek, and he's going to tell me what all this means. So this morning... Uh, I've never flown an airplane, but I, not only am I going to teach you how to fly, I'm going to teach you how to repair the plane. Uh, and no one's going to listen to me, except in theology. But when I, when I talk to, to the, the, uh, the simplest people who have walked in the supernatural, I think Gene Owen's a good example. I don't believe he ever went to any Bible school or anything. He got filled with the Holy Ghost, just started praying for people. Uh, the guy just prays in tongues all the time. I, and I see the correlation. I think it was Larry Lee that said, Jesus went from a place of prayer to a place of power. Amen? And if, if you really want to walk in that grace and discover what's the next level of my ministry, it doesn't matter if you're just beginning a ministry or if you've been in ministry 25 or 30 years, you still have to pray out the plan of God. And I'm sorry, but in my experience, the further you go in ministry, the more of an effort it is to pray it out. <laughs> you know, in the beginning it was, Lord, should I minister to that guy at McDonald's that looks like he's homeless and doesn't have any money? <laughs> and that's about all the praying you have to do. And the Lord then slaps you upside the head and said, hey, dummy, he, he, he doesn't have any money and you got some in your pocket. You know, it's, oh, yes, Lord, so I'll go minister to him. But then as you go on in ministry, the investments in prayer that are required are deeper. And I'm not, I'm, I, even in my own life, I'm, I'm not sure I've risen up to the challenge. I believe I have in some levels, but God wants us to pray more. And I know that sounds pat, but you've got to invest the time and the effort and even the agony. As uh, Pastor Bob was sharing the other day, you know, 
this, this, this agony to birth again. And some people want, I know some people's ministries, because I've experienced it myself as well, but our ministries get plateaued and there's no breakthrough. Well, we've got to go back to the beginning and do the same things we did when we entered ministry. We've got to pray that up to the next level. How does the Lord bring that out? I remember I was with Bob when we started Church of the Word International. And we had gone down to Pittsburgh. And Bob and I, this time successfully, prayed for three days and fasted. And uh, told a joke about where we tried one time and failed and ate a lot of steak. Man, we ate so much that three days. Oh, it was so sinful. But this time we did it. We, we prayed and fasted for three days. Brother Hagen had a seminar. And uh, the talk of the town at that time must have been around 80. Was it 86 or 87? Somewhere in there. But someone had fallen. That was the whole thing. Ministers were falling in the 80s. And uh, I was crying out to God because I knew I needed to launch out into a new ministry. Didn't even have a name. I, you know, that's how new it was. I didn't, hadn't even thought of a name. Didn't even think a name was important. Was I, you know, I just knew I had to do something, launch out. We were praying and fasting. And it came to the end of the three days, and I hadn't heard nothing. I, yeah, I mean, you ever feel like, what's going on? I've been banging uh, and nothing, no doors are opening. You know, Jesus said, knock and it'll be opened. And I've been fasting and praying and I feel as empty as a bucket. You know what I feel like? I feel hungry. <laughs> right? Less, less people think you're always spiritual or something. It's, sometimes it's just nothing but hard work to pursue and, and to, to keep going. But you know what you're doing is the right thing. And so I remember we, we had a little time of prayer before we checked out of the hotel. And I got on my knees by the bed. And I said, Lord, I've given you these days. I love you. I want to serve you. What do you want me to do? And just like that, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, call it Church of the Word International. Because I want you to always keep the world first. And you could have hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. It would have been about equal. The world? Lord, I'm thinking about maybe northwestern corner of Pennsylvania, and if I'm really, uh, really growing ministry, I might get across the border into New York. <laughs> That's how big my vision was. Call it Church of the Word International because I want you to always keep the world first? <laughs> uh-huh. I know it just blew my mind. And then I'm... Then as I get up on my feet, I'm thinking, man, that's a dumb name. International sounds like a tractor. <laughs> Church of the Word International? I didn't like the name. Didn't like it for a long time. Anyhow, uh, maybe that's why he gave it. So then Bob and I get in the car. And uh, Bob's driving. And we're dressed in shorts and t-shirts. We do not look like ministers we're driving up interstate 79 now now remember this is to me this is important we just had been fasting and praying for three days all right this just wasn't a sunday drive we're driving up 79 and coming up on an exit and the spirit of god spoke to me and he spoke so loud so audible honest to god i was in the spirit 
I thought Bob heard it. As I was like freaking out that he wasn't doing what God just said. Because I heard, get off at the next exit and look for a church. And when Bob comes up on the exit and he's not getting off, I'm like, get off! <laughs> Bob, get off here! The Lord said, get off at the next exit and look for a church. Now, Bob, you've got to keep me accurate here. I'm, you were there. We get off. We get to an intersection. The Lord says, turn right. We, Bob, turn right. Turn left. I don't know what we did. Drove right into this huge church. I never knew it was there. And uh, no cars in the parking lot. Bob drives all the way around the church, and then he's getting ready to head out the exit. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> we found the church. <laughs> I'm going in there. God said, get off the exit and look for a church. I'm going to go inside. So he parks, and we go inside, and the door's open. I mean, there's nobody there, no lights on, but the door's open. We go inside. Remember that? All the lights were out. So, so we walk in this huge church, walk in and open the second set of doors, and you can tell, you know, you kind of got to peer through the gloom that there's a, you know, a ramp, and it's like an auditorium, you know, you can see a few things. And we're walking in there, and it's just completely dark. And we hear a voice. Hey, you just missed them. They went across the street to the hotel for lunch. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but we just missed them. So we go out, and we go across the street to the hotel. <laughs> in shorts and T-shirts. And we walk into this, I don't know, this is a fancy hotel, I forget, Marriott or something. We walk into the lobby of this hotel. We do not look like pastors. And I walked, just, just walked in. And this guy in a suit and tie pops up out of nowhere, comes up to me real boldly, puts out his hand, shakes my hand. See, it's a hotel lobby. Shakes my hand, says, praise God, I can see you're here for the same reason I am. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't, don't know why I'm here is what I want to say. But obviously he's a believer. I'm shaking his hand. And while I'm shaking his hand, the Spirit of God says, give him everything in your pocket. Now, understand, back then... Typically, that wouldn't have hurt me. Because <laughs> I usually didn't have much in my pocket. But for some reason, on this particular day, at least in a ratio or what, what's relative to life, what I had in my pocket was a lot for me. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you're in the church and the Lord, you look at the checkbook balance and the Lord says, you know, only, only one zero? <laughs> and you're like uh, praying that the ink would just disappear from your pen, you know, or something. You know, you know what I mean. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But the Lord said, give him everything in your pocket. Okay, stranger, just shook my hand. So I put my hand in my pocket and I said, Lord wants you to have this. And I put this money in his hand. Complete stranger. I don't know who he is. He could be a... I don't know, working with the Masonic Lodge. I don't know who this guy is. He starts shouting hallelujah and amen. Come to find out, his name's Andrew Bush. He's a missionary for the Assembly of God. 
he had been pastoring in Arizona and he received a call to become a missionary into the, the Asian Pacific. And he did what the AG asked you to do. He, he, uh, first he had to find someone to take over his church. Then he had to go around for a period of time to different churches to raise funds and to build a, a partner base. And then they, the denomination would send him to his, his mission. But while, so he's, he's, found, he's found someone to take over his church. He's put the new pastor in his place. And he's gone through all the rigmarole of raising money for the denomination. He's, 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 he's crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. He's got the, the money flowing. The, so the denomination can send him to his mission place. And his wife gets pregnant for their fifth child, fourth child. And the AGs won't send a missionary to the mission field with four children. And so all of a sudden, his wife's pregnant. And the entire denomination and everything he sowed his life into says... Uh-uh. And he doesn't know what to do. He's now struggling with his call. What do I do? Do I submit to my denomination? Or, you know, do I just go out on faith? How, you know, and then if I go out on faith, I got four kids. There's the reality, right? And he's in Arizona, and he hears about a missions conference in Pittsburgh, where, where Lester Summerall is speaking, which I never, I hadn't heard about that mission conference. And uh, I, think, I think we left. We, we, Lester, was Lester there or he already left? I think he left. But then we go into this dining room with all these other guys, some bigwigs in there. I forget their names, to be honest, because I was only interested in what God was doing. But here's Andrew seeking God, what should I do? And supernaturally, God had him meet me, and supernaturally, God had me put some money in his hands, see? And now guess what's happening? He's fulfilling his call, and I'm fulfilling mine. And where's it come from? Prayer and sowing your seed. Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And that's one of the things you can, you can really recognize in ministry. Every, every church planter that started a church knows what I'm talking about. That, that pastor that starts that church is putting more in that church than anybody. You've you, you got to put that effort into what you see as the grace. But it's got to be birthed out of prayer. And if it's not, you'll get off in the flesh. And that's then what you focus on. Well, thank God for Andrew. Later, he invited me to the Philippines. Because of that one moment, that one prayer time with Bob, giving that seed gift, supporting Andrew, I ended up uh, early 20s preaching to an unreached tribal group in the mountains of the Philippines. I led an unreached tribal group to the Lord. The whole tribe got saved. And do you know how, uh, how expert I am at doing that? There's no expertise. There's no, I didn't even know what an unreached tribal group was. I, honest to God, didn't know what an unreached tribal group was. But you follow the Spirit. The grace will lead you. Amen? Got time for one more? We do. We have ten minutes. Oh, I'm in charge. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> 
I want to encourage you. I've been encouraging myself because as I get older, realizing God's got new things for me, I'm not ready for a shelf. Are you ready for a shelf, Brian? I'm not ready for a shelf. How about you, Bob? I mean, you're looking worn out. You're going to retire, aren't you? No, you're not, and you don't look worn out. What I'm trying to say, Larry, is there's always more. There's always more. And it's the same principle as when we were teenagers, but it's just a wider breadth. It's deeper. And, 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 and maybe the praying will be a bit deeper. Maybe the fasting will be a bit more focused. Um, when I, particularly when I go to the Soviet Union, they ask me, how did you ever end up in the Soviet Union? And I always answer that with a, a laugh because it's, actually it's pretty funny. <laughs> I was pastoring in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Terry and I, we were fairly happy doing what we were doing. And, and prayers that had been prayed in 1983 had accumulated. You know, incense goes before the Lord and it gets collected. See, the summer of 1983, I went to Ramah. And the uh, entire summer, uh, you know, I didn't go to, I, I enlisted in the Bible school in the fall, but I only went to one semester, then I dropped out. I'm a Rama dropout. Couldn't take it. And, uh, but the whole summer, <clears throat> I would go to the healing school at 2 in the afternoon, and, and in particular, Wednesday nights, I would go to the church, and Brother Hagen would do a Wednesday night service. And for 1983, every Wednesday night, he used the same verses from Joel in the book of James, and he taught on uh, the early and latter rain, and he would teach for about 15 minutes, and that's about all, and then he would say, uh, we're beginning a work in the, in the former Soviet Union. We've got a guy who's printing books for us, and you know, God has told us to put millions of books into the Russian language, so let's just stand up, turn around, kneel down. Pray at your chair. Let's pray for the Russian people and their deliverance. Every night throughout the whole summer, you know, Russia for me is, you know, the enemy. It's, it's, he's, it's the bad guy in the James Bond movie. And I'm, I'm praying every Wednesday night for Russia. Well, those prayers go up and they accumulate. And in 1992, uh, a guy by the name of Dave Esla was driving from Ohio to State College because he's preaching on one Sunday in Ohio. Anybody that travels knows what I'm talking about. And then he's going to preach on the next Sunday in State College. And he's got six days in between to do nothing. So he's driving like this, you know, <laughs> on, the, on the highway. And he, he's a history buff. And he looks at Titusville. Oil was discovered in Titusville. That's history. So let's go to Titusville. So he drives into Titusville. And his car breaks down. Well, I didn't know his car broke down. I'm in Titusville, I don't even know what day of the week it was, and I get a phone call. Is this Pastor Armstrong? I said, yeah. He says, hey, I'm Dave Esla. We've got a mutual friend in California that told me your name. I'm just coming through Titusville, and I uh, just thought maybe we'd say hello, have some fellowship, maybe have lunch. And I said, well, yeah, sure, you know. So Terry and I went to lunch with him and his wife, uh, Nina. So Dave and Nina were Ramagrads. And they graduated the same year Terry graduated, I think. Yeah, I think so. So we had something in common. We had a nice lunch. They were missionaries to Russia, told us some stuff. 
uh, working for Brother Copeland and Brother Hagen, and they got an office in Minsk, Belarusia, and they're printing books in Russian. You know, the guy I was praying for every night in 1983, I'm having lunch with him. It's pretty cool. Amen. Don't tell me prayer doesn't rule things. Amen. And so then uh, they were just happy and, you know, told us we're going, they're going to State College on the weekend and told us what hotel they were staying in. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll see you all again sometime. God bless you. So they went one way, we went the other. Went to bed that night. Everything's normal. But for some reason, God decided not to talk to me until about 3 in the morning. He does say, I don't know why. I, there's some things about the Spirit I ain't got figured out. He could have told me before I went to bed. But I sat up in my bed at 3 in the morning, completely awake. And the Spirit of the Lord said, go give him $700. Not five, not six, seven. Well, let me rephrase. Back then, that was a lot of money for us. That, that you know. And... Uh, Okay, go give them $700. Oh, he must have woke me up because they're leaving early. <laughs> so I woke Terry up. I said, honey, we've got to go give these guys some money. And, uh, you, know, they're, you know, we don't want them to leave. We don't know how to get this before cell phones, right? I mean, how do we get a hold of them to give them this money? God wants to give them $700. So we scurried around. We got the money. And we, we went to the hotel where they were staying. It was probably by that time about 8. I don't know. It was morning. And a knock on the door. And, uh, you know, got to, got to knock a lot. And pretty soon I could hear him in there rustling around and whispering. And the door opens just a little bit. And there's Dave. And he's looking out. And I said, hey, sorry to, sorry to bother you so early in the morning, brother. I just, last night the Lord spoke to me. And, and I, didn't, I didn't want you to get away without me seeing you. Didn't know when you were leaving. But the Lord told me to give you this $700. And I slipped it through the crack. Whoo, that crack, that door flung wide open. He starts shouting. He runs into the room, shows Nina. God delivered us, gave us $900. She's in her sleeping gown, jumping up and down on the bed in front of us. They're so happy. And then they tell the story. Their car had broken down. That's why they called me, because they couldn't escape. And the, 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 the mechanic bill to get it fixed was right about $700, which they didn't have. And... Uh, they didn't have any money to fix it, but God had money to fix it, right? And, and, and so he put the two of us together, and they fixed the car, and they went off on their way. And, oh, I don't know, a couple months later, I got a fax. You remember faxes? <laughs> and, 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 and in the fax, you know, there, Dave said, hey, I want to invite you to Minsk, Belarusia. Come and help us with this conference. We're going to have about 700 pastors from all over the former Soviet and uh, Gloria Copeland and uh, Billy Brim and some others will be speakers, but we'd like you to come. And uh, I, wa I didn't go to be a speaker. I wasn't one of the speakers. I was one of the cleaners. And we did. We cleaned this entire complex. It was a lot of work. I took assistant with me, Bruce Latibue. We did do street work, which is awesome. That was cool. And, uh, but halfway along this conference, there was these other bigwig Americans, you know, with the big churches. And, and uh, Jim Spillman was creating a schedule. 
And there was a two o'clock, I think it was about a two o'clock preaching block. And something got confused. And two Americans both thought they had that block to preach in. And they got in a fight. They got in a fight. I mean, a shouting match. It is embarrassing. Sometimes it's embarrassing to be an American overseas. And they're, they're, they got in a, a fighting match. And then, uh, so Jim Spillman says, well, I'm just gonna, then I'm just going to pick one of these Russian pastors and have them preach. So he picked one. And when he picked this one, then these Russian pastors got mad. And they started fighting. And I'm like, dear Lord, some of this you wouldn't believe, but believe it, the the immaturity. So in the midst of all this, the two Americans fighting each other and almost coming to fists, literally almost coming physical. Then the Russians, you know, fighting over who gets to be in this coveted treasured spot. (laughs) So five minutes before two, Jim Spillman looks at me and says, Dale, would you please preach and take care of this? And I said, sure. (laughs) So I don't know what the two Americans think of me even to this day. But what happened was there were about 700 pastors from all over the former Soviet Union. And I preached. And they grabbed my heart. And I haven't been able to get to all those places yet. Dear Lord. But where'd all that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. 1983, every Wednesday night, I got on my knees because Brother Hagin asked me to get on my knees to pray for people I didn't know anything about and really didn't care about. But prayer brought that out and opened that up. And then what happens is people see it and they say, wow, why'd this happen to you so easily? It just kind of like fell in your lap. nothing falls in your lap. You you, you got to look further back. You know, it's like the guy said, after 20 years of hard work, I was an overnight success. Right? So there's investments of prayer. First the call, then the grace, and then the gifts of the Spirit. And what runs as a straight line through all of that is your prayer life. And if you don't have one, well, you don't have one. Pray. Pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And one thing about prayer is as I talked about that grace, you generally will drift in your prayers to where those godly desires are. I mean, there's a natural side to it where you're going to pray more effectively for your children than for mine. Let's just be honest. If your kid's sick and my kid's sick and you're the only one praying, you're going to be praying in a different vein for your child. There's issues involved, authority, love, you know, knowledge. Uh, so in your prayer life, you'll find that if you'll, if you'll yield and when you pray, you'll be ending up praying in that grace. And that will then open it up. Amen? I firmly believe that. It's also why, and I've learned that, and, and I had a friend talking to me about it uh, Monday or Tuesday I'm going to close with this 
when I would travel and began to travel in the former Soviet, it wasn't always hard, easy to get. To, it wasn't always easy to get to these places. Some of them, it was risky business, particularly in the early '90s. But uh, I would always tell the congregation or the Bible students, I say, okay, you're going to graduate, you're going to go out in the world, you're going to start churches, you're going to be in other countries, and you're going to be in other cities. I said, here's the deal. If you'll pray, and you'll sincerely get before God, and you will pray and intercede and ask Him to send me to you, I will come. But I'm telling you right now, you're the one that's going to pray the way. And they'd all laugh. But I've gone to about six or eight of some of the richest, best places of ministry that I ever visited. And the pastor got in the pulpit. And he said, you know, when I was a student, Brother Dale said, if I would pray and I would get before God and, 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 and ask God to send Brother Dale, he would come and he's here tonight. And then he would celebrate because he actually did it. And I'm telling you what, for me, that's easy ministry. I mean, I would just get up on the platform and it just, they would, it just pull out of you. I remember in uh, uh, the one city where it happened, uh, first, the pastor wasn't even there. So he did, a, he did a video that they played and had me up in the pulpit when the pastor wasn't even a- able to be in the, in the city meeting and revival broke out. And we doubled his church. Went from about 400 to 800 in a three-day meeting. And it's, I, I didn't have to pray for that meeting. <laughs> he, he prayed that, prayed me in. Praise the Lord. All right, let's stand up. I guess today was smorgasbord day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you for the word. Seal it to our heart and to our spirit. Apply it to each of, of us and the ears that we're here to hear it in their unique situation. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.